Hello and welcome to episode four of the Clinical Audit and Improvement Podcast from AMAT, the audit management and tracking tool which is developed in partnership with our users. My name's Tom Conlon and in this episode I'm going to be discussing the value of training and who better to do this with me than the guests I have here today. Between them they've got all the insight into what it means to be on both sides of the training program. So I have Pleased to welcome Rachel Benting from the Shrewsbury and Telford Hospital NHS Trust. Rachel's worked as a midwife in the NHS for almost 25 years. She's worked across all areas of midwifery, from high-risk hospital-based to low-risk community-based care. With a keen interest in quality improvement, Rachel moved into her current post as lead specialist audit midwife for her trust in June 2021. My other guest is one of the co-directors of CASC, the Clinical Audit Support Centre, which will be well known to many of our listeners, because CASC was set up in 2006 to offer support and accredited training across a wide range of disciplines, all designed to help improve patient care. So I'm well pleased to welcome Stephen Ashmore, who began working in clinical audit back in 1995. Stephen holds several relevant professional qualifications and is the co-author of Principles for Best practice in clinical audit. Together with Tracy, he developed a nationally recognised clinical audit teaching toolkit and has served on national audit committees as well as being a patient participation group chair. So that's uh, another episode chock full of super qualified participants and me. Right, I'm going straight on to, uh, on to Rachel if you don't mind. I'm going to put you on the spot first. So you, I know that you recently took part in a, a clinical audit masterclass at CASC um, so I wonder if you'd be able to give me an idea of, of how valuable that experience was. I think for me, um, when I looked at accessing training, um, I did a lot of scoping of what, what clinical audit training was out there and took some advice from our, our trust clinical lead. And this is how I, I came across uh, Stephen and Tracy and Cask. And it was imperative for me that I had a starting out on my new role and my new career that I had a really robust kind of underpinning knowledge of what clinical audit was from the highest possible standard. So I went along to the um, masterclass with an expectation of what I was going to receive. And what I did actually receive was, was tenfold, um, I found that the structure of the training for me, uh, the ability to really have this provision of toolbox, um, a good toolbox of resources, and to be able to tap into the the experience and knowledge of those well-renowned in their field was absolutely invaluable. I found the training, I mean, I would recommend it to absolutely anybody, and we, we know that training in clinical audit is such a barrier to, you know, the production of a good clinical audit project or even to participating in clinical audit. And coming in into this new role as an as a audit lead, I felt that I really needed to have this robust knowledge to be able to pass on. So by undergoing the training that I did, the masterclass, really going into depth about what makes a good clinical audit project and the nitty gritty, the um, the back to basics part of clinical audit was absolutely invaluable. Stephen, is that, is that a kind of common experience in, um, from your point of view? Do you find that people feedback those kind of things to you? Well, thank you, Rachel. I think, you know, I, I need to buy you a beer, don't I? It's, you know, it's, it's the lovely <laughs> things that you've said about clinical audit support centre training. 
Yeah, I think we get a real mixture of people, you know, who come on to training. And uh, I would probably say most haven't maybe gone into as much depth and detail as maybe Rachel has in terms of of seeing what's out there and um, looking at, uh, you know, what what clinical training is available. So she clearly did a really good job in relation to that. I think, you know, Google's an amazing thing, isn't it? People can put whatever they want into a search engine now and look to see what's available and, you um, you know, I'm sure that when people put in clinical audit training into Google, we probably come up fairly highly in relation to that. But yeah, we get a real mix of people, you know, some that have been sent on to training, which is, um, we always call them the prisoners, you know, the people who've been told by the manager, you know, you've got to go on to this training. And, you know, I think it's about trying to manage their expectations. But it's lovely where, you know, when we get people like Rachel on training who are, you know, really dialed into understanding and wanting to learn about clinical audit as part of their role, they may still have some reservations about the value of clinical audit. We we're doing some training the other day, actually, with a group, and they kept talking about the A word. Staff keep talking about the A word. And I think audit isn't the friendliest word in the world. So I think sometimes people come into clinical audit training expecting it to be quite dry. And I think for me and Tracy, it's about breaking down those barriers. It's about, you know, and Rachel pointed that out really nicely. I think there are some some real barriers to, to undertaking clinical audit. And one is lack of training. I think a lot of staff are told you're doing a clinical audit project and they haven't had any training and, you know, they're, they're left, you know, to their own devices to, to source that. I think a lot of people self-teach almost by looking at Wikipedia and, and, again, Google to find out what clinical audit's about. So it's amazing when we get people, you know, like Rachel who come on to training, wanting to learn. And I think for us, it's about, it's about making it interesting. It's about inspiring people to want to do it. But I think it's about, I think one of the things I try really hard as a, as a trainer to do is be about being honest you know, some clinical audit doesn't work. There are pitfalls of undertaking it. If we don't get audit right, it can waste quite a lot of time um, and resources. So it's about bringing it to life and yeah, showing people, you know, the value of, of clinical audit and what an what a amazing discipline it can be and, and the real differences that it can make to not just patients, service users, but also staff as well. And do you think that message is kind of getting through? Do you find that more people, I mean, obviously, Rachel, you you took it on yourself to do this. Um, are, are you finding more people who are involved with with clinical audit deciding to, that they need that training and that they need to kind of to, to see the value in the importance of it? I would say that um, I there is a definite swing towards um, people starting to access training. Um, I think clinical audit has kind of always been one of these things historically where you're taught by another person who's been taught by another person who's been taught by another person and that quality decay um you know going over time a bit like learning to drive you know if, if I learn to drive from from a driving instructor and I've got my hands at 10 and 2 and I'm absolutely impeccable and 10 years later when I picked up all the bad habits and kind of lost the 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 best way to to drive and then I teach somebody who 10 years later teaches somebody it's the same kind of thing so you know by accessing some high quality standardized training um <clears throat> I, I feel that it, it's extremely important to the message that I'm giving then to people what instead of, of passing on the oh this is how I think you do it and self-taught ways you're actually passing on the best practice you know when it comes to clinical audit itself so I think as that message is getting out there and the more people that are having that training when people come to do um a clinical audit uh 
that maybe aren't haven't had that training they are then very quickly realizing there's so much more to clinical audit than maybe what they thought or what they were led to believe so they are starting to seek out okay i actually want to do this right too i i I, I understand the importance and as we're getting that message across about how vital it is for quality improvements and how much um, of a resource it is for us as an NHS trust to, to move our services forward uh, people are definitely engaging more so that, that's that's really so Stephen would you want to come back on this I mean you I know you take a kind of um a big picture view when you start training because I've sat in on, on one of your training sessions and I was really impressed and by this kind of, let's look at the whole field. I wonder if you could kind of talk from your your point of view on that. Yeah, I think you know, for for delivering training, you you um, it has to be broad, and unless you've got a group in front of you, are like you know a group of midwives. So say Rachel's bringing a group of midwives to training, then you you want to try and drill down a bit more and, and focus in and and provide resources that link across to specifically that group of people in front of you. But I think mainly now it's in terms of the training that we're doing you have a real mix of people in front of you and i think you know in terms of training that uh, that tracy and i have been delivering we've had a range of people in terms of their role so a large number of them are patient facing is what i tend to phrase them as so you know, doctors nurses but other healthcare professionals and then you have senior managers um, other managers other staff that fit into the system but you then get people working across healthcare in all sorts of different environments and I think that's the way of the world now and historically I think probably Tracy and I did deliver more training to say acute trusts 20 years ago but it's a real mix now so mental health trusts you know we were doing some training um, last week with dentists which was a, a different experience um, we've done quite a lot of training with hospices, care homes, but and social care. So there's so many different places where healthcare is being delivered that I think you have to, you know, broaden your training model out and and make it relevant to everybody. And I think that's really difficult to do. I think as a trainer, when when unless you do know a particular group who are in front of you, and then there's the added burden then of actually researching what that group. Um, requirements are and what they need it's, it is fairly broad in terms of the people in front of you and you know it's it's challenging to make it relevant to everybody I think that's one of the real challenges in terms of the work we're doing but I think for us we try and include lots of snippets the training that probably Rachel came on would throw in snippets that would relate to different areas within healthcare that was relevant to different professionals and different people that would be attending the training and I think for us that's how we have to do it to engage everybody, it's about not leaving anybody on the sidelines when you're training and understanding different learning styles and people are looking at clinical audit and where it fits from through lots of different lenses ultimately. So how do you um, – and this this is probably to both of you actually because uh, you've both got to evaluate the, the, the and assess the, the, whether it's the training is having the desired effect. So, Stephen, you've got to kind of uh, – Rachel touched on before – kind of standardise the experience so that everybody gets the, the the same kind of level of quality and approach so that, that you're not embedding bad practice in, in anybody. But then Rachel has also got to understand, you know, figure out has this been successful for me and what impact is it having in, in our organisation now? I wonder if you could both kind of chip in on, on that. I mean, it was actually just quite interesting hearing Stephen talk from that perspective about uh, the difficulties or, you know, the challenges facing um, 
him, himself as a, as a training provider in, in ensuring that it's broad. Whereas when on the actual recipient end, I think broad is exactly what we need. Um, I don't think we need to drill down specifics because I really think we have to understand the 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 clinical audit in its purity to be able to then go on and apply it to our specific areas. So for me, um, I found it perfect. I, I, I don't think I would have benefited it for ben- Oof, that's brilliant English. I would have had any more benefit for it being, say for me, maternity specific, because what I was after was was clinical audit in its purest um, form. So I could then go and apply it to what I needed it to be applied to. And certainly for me, um, when I what I took away was not only the that purest form of clinical audit in its broadest base. But by having that, I was able to drill down and look at the processes, say, with, within um, my my kind of remit and ensure that they uh, – how what am I – what am I trying to say? We have – for example, coming into maternity, we have doctors coming in from all disciplines as they do their rotation. So having something that would, was maternity-specific as they come in and try and access audit through myself and, and the team I work with, to have it very, very specific to maternity wouldn't have been a good idea. They're having the processes – processes need to be um, – audit in general and therefore integrating some of the learning into our processes and the process mapping um the training for that was invaluable because i could actually break down as i was taught the processes and provided with tools i could then understand the processes into a much deeper perspective than i previously had and be able to process map put them into the system um to ensure that it was guiding people through the audit process the way it should be done. So right from setting up, um, say, an audit proposal form, looking very much from the work that I'd done on training, and and, and I actually did um, the accreditation project at the end, which I found extremely useful, really, really useful, where I had to demonstrate my understanding and, and set up you know, various tasks and, and, and present that and have that graded. But I actually took away having to really map those processes for Stephen and Tracy and the accreditors to show my understanding. I then was able to take that into, say, my proposal form to actually ask the proposer to map out what their audit is going to look like, um, which then guides them into constructing a really good audit. Uh, so I think from I've probably gone very off topic. Um, I, I have a tendency to do that as well. Start with one thread of information, then my brain goes haywire. Um, but that's okay. Um, this is what we want. Exactly, exactly. Um, so really, you know, it's it's much more than just training. It, it's a paying it forward thing. And by breaking down these processes and delivering it in its purest form enables us to do that and to put that into what we need as, as um, people attending the course and trying to access that training. That's fantastic, Stephen. Yeah, you know, I, I, it's really nice to hear what you what you were saying, um, Rachel. Because I think sometimes Trace and I, and I'm sure other trainers do it. You obsess about evaluation forms and what comes back, you know. And if you're training 20 people, th- there's a good chance that you might have missed the mark with with a couple. And I think sometimes you you know you really, I think certainly we re- really look into that and think about why someone hasn't had a good experience. In relation to training, but I think what you were saying is, you know, audit is audit is audit is audit, unless I guess it's research or service evaluation, and people are mixing those up, which is key 
key part of the training to make sure people understand that. But I think for us, it's about making it accessible. That's the first thing. It's not about dumbing down the process, but I think sometimes people are quite scared in relation to what clinical audit relates to and what what they're going to be asked to do in terms of setting a clinical audit up. And I think beyond that, it's about application, isn't it? And you know, you come onto training, and and for us, the the sort of the, the sort of the the gold standard, sort of the the acid test, is can people then go away and into their workplace and actually put some of this work into action and and you know devise really good quality audits for their organisation and for themselves, really. So, and the, you've touched on the accreditation as well. I think for me, and I've I've spoken to quite a lot of people about this, and particularly trainers recently particularly for online training as well. I think, you know, where's the evidence that sometimes training that people are attending is making a difference? You know, I think in the in the virtual world, people can sit behind a black screen now typing the odd comment into chat. You know, are they picking up the key learning? I think what you were saying about, I think we, we try quite a few times over the course of our training day to run lots of different quizzes and polls and tasks to engage people, to, to give them an opportunity to trial out some of the stuff we're teaching them. And I think the accreditation, those that go on to that, that's really about proving that, the, that they've understood the training and they know what a good clinical audit links to. And again, it, it puts them in a good position then to apply it. So I think for us, I think sometimes the sort of the assessment side, it's not about put, giving people exams, but the assessment part of training is is sometimes not there for us. And I think that's really disappointing for us. I think a lot of, particularly NHS and healthcare organisations are probably investing a lot of money into staff attending external trainers or getting trainers into their organisation. And it's, are they, are they looking at actually the outputs and making sure that the training is what is required and it's having the, the, the necessary impact? If, if I can respond to that, I think, again, it's so interesting hearing from your perspective. I and mean, that is the obvious that as a trainer, you'd want to see that, you know, to, to get any kind of certificate or accreditation at the end, that people weren't just sitting there, like you said, putting casual things in chat, not really comprehending. But as a learner, um, and I know I sound uh, ultra keen, but it, I, 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 I am. And uh, what whatever I do I want like most of us we want to do the best so I have been on plenty of other online training where there is just feedback forms at the end but it was actually a way of testing myself for my knowledge have I got this right because I'm going out of this training this is my opportunity to access you know the experience and advice of Stephen and Tracy I'm going to get absolutely everything I can out of that I'm going to take every opportunity to pick brains and to you know absolutely draw out information and and education that I need and therefore to have that assessment enable me to go have I kind of got it right am I on the right track because you know I could think I understood and go away and actually not have understood properly so it was a a definitely again a two-way thing where for me it was that okay yeah you've got it yeah you have taken on what we've said and go spread your wings and fly, you know, little audit birdie, off you go now, um, which was just really important to me. You know, I came I came on the training to make sure I, I gained that knowledge. Um, like I said, it was tenfold more than I even expected, which probably shows my naivety going into it and exactly why I needed the training. Um, but coming out of it, it was that reassurance, massive reassurance for me that, okay, yeah, I understand it and I'm ready to go with this. You, Stephen, you mentioned about... Um... Uh, the, the online and obviously 
the pandemic changed the landscape, didn't it, for for how we all kind of communicate with each other, and and we're doing this virtually as well. Um, so how was that? How has that affected your approach? Has it improved? Are you pl- more pleased that we can deliver? You know, I mean, obviously, you've got more power to deliver more training in a week now than traveling around and, and embedding yourself into a trust. But do, do you think there are any, what are the, what are the good points and bad points? What are the pro, I thought this might come up. What are the pros and cons of virtual training? How long have, has everybody got? <laughs> you know, it's, there's so much I could say in relation to, to this. I think my preference is probably still just for face-to-face. I've done a couple of tra- face-to-face training sessions and, and it's, it genuinely is the conversations you have at, at coffee break or over lunch with people that you just don't tend to get, I think, when you're training virtually, the asides. And it's the opportunity to, for learners, actually, when they're from different organisations, to actually share those conversations. I think I think you obviously miss that when you're training virtually. I, I really like some of the virtual stuff. You know, it was, it was a big challenge, and I'm sure lots of people have, have experienced that in terms of moving face-to-face classroom-based training onto a virtual platform, getting used to using Zoom and MS Teams, asking people to unmute. You know, it still sometimes doesn't run quite to plan, I think, when um, when you, you're running sessions in that format. But, you know, I think there's some real benefits, actually, of, of um, virtual training. People don't have to get to bed on a train to London, you know, get out of bed on a train to London early. You know, they can often undertake that within their office environment or at home i really like in 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 virtual training that people can input into chat and almost have a a separate conversation while the training is going on you could never do that in a in a face-to-face session where people could be raising questions you'd have to stop take a question and then you know come back to it in terms of the delivery so i think there's some real benefits and i think you can get a lot of information across certainly good for me and my family life as i've got a small child so not heading out so much in terms of travel um in relation to to virtual delivery but i think equally you know we used to love unfortunately Rachel didn't experience it. But if you'd been doing a face-to-face session um, with us, Rachel, we'd have been getting you doing all sorts of madcap things. We'd have been getting you drawing the audit process as a team to try and come up with something, you know, that represents how we do clinical audit. We'd have been doing card sort activities. You'd have been doing tasks in pairs. And I think a lot of that, you can replicate some of that online, but I think it's just that that bit more challenging to do. We're getting there. I think online training will get more and more sophisticated, to be fair. And, and I've already seen it sort of improving in the two years over the space of the pandemic, really. But I think it, there's, there's, there's strengths and weaknesses to, to both approaches, ultimately. And, yeah, I think for us, like probably a lot of people, we want to stay now sort of in the middle where there's a balance in terms of delivering you know, training virtually, and I guess that probably costs organisations less because you don't have to send people um, out to, um, you know, to, to attend training or book, book training rooms. But, you know, we want to we want to balance ultimately between delivering training online and uh, and face to face. I think that's probably what most people, as learners, they're probably their expectations would be. Yeah, and I suppose it's uh, from from your point of view, Rachel. There's also your time. Um, there's more and more pressure in NHS to 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 do more. Um, so trying to keep on top of training and your your regular duties 
must be a real must be a real challenge. It definitely it definitely can be, um, and certainly we have so much mandatory training that we need to um, attend, uh, which I fully support. So when we're trying to access training above and beyond you know, a mandatory training to have a way of accessing that in a very um, easy manner as such, I'm probably not using the right word, um, well, it's just more accessible online training, um, virtual training, isn't it? So, you know, as, as a trust, I mean, I was very privileged that we were uh, had a, a CPD allowance um, that we were allowed to apply for, and, and we had to explain exactly why. So, um, I went into great detail why I absolutely had to do this training and I, I was luckily approved. But from a cost implication for the NHS, you know, the NHS is having to fund um, these training sessions. Uh, so therefore, if they can fund just the training costs as opposed to and the time for, for me to do that training as opposed to potentially travel costs and things like that, you know, it is saving the NHS a good bit of money which it can um, allocate elsewhere. For, for more you know pressing needs so I, I hear I definitely hear um, Stephen's point about you know that that networking maybe that lack of networking um, going on at lunchtime I didn't do the training before I have only done it virtually so I can't comment you know what kind of trade-off what would I prefer um, but I really I thoroughly enjoyed it and I do what I did like there was the chat open and I absolutely can see the ability to network through these sessions even though they are virtual uh and you know certainly if i would have come across somebody on that course that i thought oh I, you know I, I, their brain works a little bit like mine i might i might try and pick it a bit more or i might you know could i double up with somebody else that's doing the accreditation program i'm pretty sure i could have reached out and, and Stephen would have and tracy would have put those you know emails out to facilitate that so I do think we, we just have to be creative, don't we, and how we approach. And I really felt that the virtual version of what I received, I mean, was, was fantastic and definitely interactive. And there was that ability to network. So, yeah. And it had an impact on subsequently since you, because you did it last year, didn't you? Yes. October. And my accreditation program ran till, I think, January January time, so you get three months, I, I believe. Now, I wanted to just say hats off to your your trust, really, um, Rachel, in terms of you know having a CPD allowance in the first place, which is good news. But I think it's really important that people who go on training are, are asked to, you know, saying about the the prisoners who don't want to be there and the passengers who do. It's 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 from my perspective, I'd love to train passengers all the time. I know that that's not necessarily always going to be the case, but I think making people put a case, public money, after all, you know, putting a case for, you know, why they should access training is a re- really, really good, you know, good initiative in, in relation to what you're doing within your trust. So, yeah, I think, I don't think that's always the case in terms of how this works, but I think, you know, that, that makes a lot of sense um, in terms of doing that, because ultimately, I think that's the other side of learning. You know, if it's not just about the trainer, and that links across to, to virtual and classroom, if you you know you can you can sense in a room, and that's you can do that virtually. If if half the class aren't actually interested in the subject matter and don't want to engage, then you get a, a less good learning experience out of that. So it's not only it's always down to the trainer actually. Ultimately, how good training ends up being, and if you get a few enthusiastic learners who help drive that on, that's, that's manner from heaven for a trainer, to be truthful. But I wonder if then, to pull it back to this this overarching 
title for the for the for this episode of the value of training. I wonder if you could both kind of sum up what you see is the value of training from from your perspective. So, I mean, I just think it is absolutely vital that it is such an important process. It's a process which lacks understanding at all levels, and I think by having the training not only look enables breaks down the barriers of, of people undertaking audit and becoming involved in clinical audit as a quality improvement process. But it improves the quality of what they're producing. If we have the best teaching, we're going to produce the best results. And I really feel that for me, attending a training that was just so well run and I think that is the key to, to what what training you do access. It's so well run that it's really given me the tools to when people are approaching me for advice with audits to be able to break down um, the processes as they were broken down to me um, and, and actually impart that knowledge um, elsewhere. I'm not claiming ever to be... Um, an experienced trainer, but part of my job role is supporting people going undergoing clinical audit. And therefore, why reinvent the wheel? Um, you know, we're provided with so many resources uh, as when we attend the masterclass that to, to be able to pay that forward and improve it all, it's just like a domino effect. You know, you get these few, the more people that are trained to this level, the more people will be passing that training on in knowledge. So although we have that I've been taught by somebody 10 years ago who was taught by somebody else 10 years ago. If the absolute beginning of that is the right training, we are much more likely to succeed in the long run. So, um, yeah, I have nothing but praise for it. And I wouldn't be as comfortable in my job role as I am now without it. Before you, you you give your perspective, actually, Stephen, I wonder, Rachel, could you just give us a, a couple of what, a tips for, for getting the most from training from your perspective? I think it is really not ignoring the basics because a lot of times people will come on to training sessions. I've been on to training sessions um, and it's concentrating sometimes on the more advanced side of clinical audit or even the strategic side of clinical audit. And, and it makes people almost frightened to ask, okay, I actually don't know how to pull an audit and criteria from a guideline. I don't know how to develop an audit tool. I don't know how to do this, but because we're sitting talking about all these advanced stuff, I don't feel comfortable to ask that um, because everybody else probably knows this. And I know that it is, you know, the absolute foundations. It's so important to include, um, the absolute foundations in what you're teaching and not make that assumption that everybody's come in with that, you know, with a certain level of knowledge, um, a back to basics approach and having that, um, you know, the, the, the foundation solid when it comes to any training, uh, I just think is really vital. Fantastic. Stephen, value of training and then maybe some tips. Oh, so two questions in one. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, the the the, va- the value. I I just a message really. I just wanted to like obviously we'll get probably hopefully a, a number of audit staff listening into the, this podcast. Uh, you know, I, Trace and I always say this on the train the trainer course when we're talking about people setting up clinical audit training. You know, it's your shop window. It's your opportunity. You know, to get out there and tell people about you know how wonderful clinical audit is and what a difference it can make. And we, you know, we know that. Some people don't like, as I said, the A word, 
and the audit word. I don't think it looks a particularly friendly word. People immediately confuse it with financial audit, I think, sometimes as well. So, you know, there's, there's, we have to, we've got a lot of work to do, I think, to, to make people understand what clinical audit is. But, you know, you can get some amazing people within your own organisation, senior managers, again, people who don't necessarily know what you're doing as a team. So it's your shop window to tell them about that, to change perceptions and, and to make some really good links ultimately. So I think that's a, you know, sometimes that, that opportunity is missed in terms of delivering training. I think for me, going back to my days in the NHS when I, when I was heading up a clinical audit team and I was seeing audits come through, it, it's, it's not rocket science. You get better quality clinical audits when you train people how to do a good, a good project so they know the structure of an audit. And I think the, the other side of it, which is really important, which I think we didn't have a huge amount of time to go through on the, the training that Rachel attended, but we, we try and cover as much as we can. You've got to give people case studies and, and real world examples of how audit is making a difference. Because a lot of people who come to training are pragmatists. You can teach them the theory and show them the audit cycle or the audit spiral ad finitum, but it doesn't mean anything until you actually start to share with them you know, some audits that have truly made a difference and improved patient care. So I think, you know, that's got to be part of, of delivery. So in a way, that's a tip. If you're delivering clinical audit training, you've got to have some some good local and, and there's lots of national audits that are making a real difference out there at the minute. So, you know, you need some good good clinical audit projects to showcase the work that we're all collectively doing. And it's wonderful when when learners come back to us actually and say, you know, we, I'm in, in the process of doing my first audit. It's actually started to, to change the way that things have been done in our organisation. Care was substandard. It might not be perfect now after putting a few changes into place, but we're moving in the right direction. So that's um, something that, you know, we, we really like to see. And I think I think it goes back to some of the points that Rachel was making earlier, actually. You know, it is difficult to, to sustain those conversations that you have, over, you know, by the water cooler or... You know, when you're having tea and coffee, you know, during a during a um, a classroom based session. But I think there's there's lots of opportunity in virtual training to put you know groups of people together. Email is a wonderful thing. WhatsApp's a, a wonderful thing. We're starting to try and link um, some some groups of staff that have attended our training who've got a collective interest together through those sorts of um, mediums. And I think you know that will only continue going forward, really. So. Yeah, lot, lots to think about if you're delivering training. But again, I think for me, fundamentally, why we do it, why Tracy and I do it, it's about trying to improve the, 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 the way people perceive audit. And if we can change that and make people feel very positive about it, you know, they'll do better quality clinical audits. And if we get better quality clinical audits, we'll get better and safer care. Yeah, I would just like to add to that, if that's okay. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think the, the way the day was themed was very much based on the positivity of clinical audit. And when that is is um, the absolute firm basis of the day or the overriding um, message that you kind of subliminal message you get, that that is the impression you do take away from it. And therefore, when you're going on back to your place of work and your department, then that positivity, it, again, is spread. And, and you look at, you know, even if I came into the training thinking clinical audits, wonderful and positive and fantastic, and was completely unaware that other people hated the A word, I'm not unaware of that. But if I was, even that information, actually, not everybody has that 
that perception. Therefore, these are some of the tools to overcome those barriers because it was those things as well that were really, really important and a, and a real takeaway message um, for me and something that I've definitely tried to apply in what, what I do um, in my job role is to really, really bring it to the positive spin to clinical audit that benefits and more people understand the benefits and more likely they are to engage with the whole process um, and to want to be part of it. And, and I think the more people we get as part of it, the better the clinical audits and um, the, the changes that we can implement and improvements we can make. So team clinical audit, love yeah, it. Absolutely. <laughs> my, my takeaway, um, Rachel, which I've never really thought about because we've never sat down, Tracy and I, with, with someone like this and like done the one-to-one. We've done quite a lot of evaluation in lots of different ways with people who've come on training. And maybe we need to do this a bit more often. But my takeaway that I never really thought of, I'm conscious that when I'm training, I'm training you or others in the training room. But it's that, that realisation that you've given me today that actually you're not just training the people in the training room because they then go and say to their colleagues and their friends what they thought of clinical audit training and yeah. what they think of clinical audit. And then, like you say, they cascade that information down within maybe their small circle of, of colleagues and in your case midwives and then maybe the department and then maybe that goes even further out across the organization so I think that's a, a real point for for me and Tracy to think about in terms of yeah actually when when any of us are training you know it, it's it's beyond the people in the room ultimately that you're speaking to this has had such a far-reaching effect, and I know we're coming to an end, so I'll keep this brief, but not even in just the process of myself for audit or my my interpretation, but even the, as part of my role is, is setting out the more strategic level processes, and even in the breakdown of that and how to deliver and how to engage um, it, it's just been so vital how to streamline the process of those people who are kind of coming into audit to do a clinical audit new to guide them through the process, even by the paperwork that I provide them. Um, so, so again, right from proposal to re- to um, reports and presentations and and. And it's it's form you know change the way um, the meetings the governance meetings that we hold um, there the the way we look at that so yeah it is it's absolutely invaluable and it's far reaching and um, you can tick that box for yourself and Tracy because that is exactly what I received is is what I needed to pay that forward and have that positive domino effect so it's been a life changer and a and a career changer it's been fantastic wow. That's that's great, a great testament to, to the value of training, certainly. Right. Well, thank you to Stephen. Thank you to Rachel. Both of you have been absolutely magnificent. Um, so if, if this episode or any other episode in this in this little series that we're doing has made you think as a listener, then you can join me on a future episode. Uh, pop your hand in the air by emailing podcast at amat.co.uk. And, and I think it's a very common and supportive process. So you know, anybody can join in and, and be confident that um, that they'll have a great experience here. So subscribe and share it as widely as you can. Spread this this culture uh, that we're trying to, to create around clinical audit. So thanks for listening and thank you again to both my guests.